Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySelfland.com. I'm going to preach a message today called Accusation. And I got the idea straight from Grace Fast, so I'll just give her the credit right now up front. We were doing a staff prayer time once a month. Uh, we do a staff prayer time. We put everything aside because we just believe prayer is important. And uh, we live that. That's not just, you know, uh, Pastor Ray preaching that and me preaching that every now and then from up here and then we just go about and do things uh, without prayer. We actually really believe in prayer uh, here at this church. And, and one of the ways we prove it is, is we take three hours once a month as a staff and we just stop everything. We stop all of our meetings. We stop uh, all kinds, just everything we're doing. And we just, as a staff, once a month we get together and we just pray for three hours uh, for each other and for the church and everything that's happening. And, and so the last one we did last month, uh, Grace led us in this thing, and, and, and we prayed about this thing of accusation and the devil's accusations and how it's part of his weapons against the church and against us as Christians. And as soon as she said it, it just happens to me sometimes this will happen. I'll be in a conversation with someone or in a prayer time, and in a moment I just hear one word, and it's like, oh, I, I, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, we've got to talk about that one. And so we're going to talk about accusation this week and, and uh, for sure next week as well. We're going to talk more on the individual level this week. Next we're going to talk more on the corporate level, how the devil uses accusation corporately. Um, but I want to just start by saying this, we have an adversary, right? There's a real devil out there. And uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion uh, seeking someone to, to devour, okay? And so uh, a lot of Christians today, we, we believe theoretically, I mean, any Christian believes in the devil. Uh, if you believe in the Bible, you believe in the devil. But a lot of times I think we believe in him in sort of a theoretical way, Excuse me. We believe in him in kind of a, a, dis, a, a distant, disconnected, theoretical way that he's not a real devil that really impacts my life or this church in any real way that we think about. But Peter goes on in the next verse and he says, resist him. Okay, and so there's actually a practical implication. There is a very real devil out there. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for individuals and churches to devour. And Peter says we're supposed to resist them. So there's actually some kind of a practical outworking in our lives that's, that, that there's something here that we are resisting the devil. Okay, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And there's many other verses we could look at. I just want to look at one more passage. There's others uh, that I wanted to, but I, I don't want to take up too much time. We want to get to the baptisms and stuff today too. But Ephesians 6 is a passage we've looked at much in the last year, and I, and I think it's an important one. There's probably a reason for that, something the Holy Spirit is doing. But Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So again, he's speaking to us as individuals and as a church. There's a real devil out there that should really impact how we live. There's an intentionality here. There's something, there's a resisting, and there's an arming that we need to be doing uh, uh, in, against this devil, okay? Stand, so you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is not, he's not a disconnected personality. Uh, he's not just a theoretical entity. He's a real entity. And if we don't take real steps to resist him and, uh, and to put on the armor, then we're actually going to suffer for that. And Paul goes on to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all uh, to stand firm. And so obviously I think the devil has many different uh, strategies and, and 
different things that he's doing to attack Christians around the world. And again, he attacks us on a corporate level. He attacks us on an individual level, and there's some differences there. But there's many things that I think he does. But there's one thing I want to focus on uh, this week and for sure next week, and that is accusation. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to show you some verses that this is one of the key things that he does to us. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we... We thank you again. We, we, we cannot stop to be thankful for what you're doing in this church and through us. You've chosen us. Who are we? We are not anybody special. We're just regular people. We're just normal, you know, Mennonites, a bunch of us. And, and some, for some reason, you've picked us and you're using us to do all this church renewal stuff. And I feel so lucky to be a part of this church. And we feel so blessed to be part of this family and I uh, thank you, Jesus, for that. And I just pray today, Jesus, that you would speak to us here on this itch- issue of accusation and that we would grow, that, that something would lodge in our hearts and that we would go to another level of standing as individuals and as a church against the attacks of the evil one against us. In your name we pray, amen. Revelation 12.10. I want to start with Revelation 12.10. There's a bunch of passages. I won't get to them all this week. Next week I'll get to some more. There's lots of passages in Scripture that talk about this thing. As I began to really narrow in and focus in on this thing last week, uh, praying and, and looking through the Scriptures on this thing of accusation, the Bible talks a lot about the devil and his accusation. And I want to start in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, verse 10, and just a little bit of background, Revelation 12 is describing the final three and a half years before Jesus comes back. There's going to be this final three and a half years of tremendous tribulation, the worst tribulation the world has ever seen. We're already in tribulation. Much of the Christian church is already in tribulation today, but the final three and a half years are going to be a culmination of that. It's going to be more intense than ever. And one of the reasons has to do with a war that is going to happen in heaven, and the devil's going to be thrown down to earth, okay? And so I want to look at this because we're going to learn something about accusation in this. Uh, Revelation 12, starting in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, and again, this is uh, three and a half years before Jesus comes back. This is what's going to happen. Uh, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. I want to read the next couple of verses. But there you see that when Satan gets thrown down, he's actually called something. It's not random. He's, he's given a label, a title. Heaven is really excited that Satan's been thrown down. Why is, why is heaven excited? Because the accuser has been thrown out of heaven. And so we read the, the next, uh, skip one verse and then to verse 12. We see the angel says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is, is short, okay? And so a couple things here and before I get to the accusation thing. First of all, uh, some people are shocked sometimes. They say, um, the, devil is, the devil has access to heaven. And, and the answer is yes, the devil right now has access to heaven. And this bothers some people because we have this kind of idea. It's sort of like, uh, you know, like God could never be in the presence of sin. Like if God is in the presence of sin, stuff just starts, you know, uh, uh, blowing up, you know, spontaneous combustion. And, uh, and it's true that God is holy, right? God is a wrathful, holy, pure God, no question about it. But he's also patient, and there's a time when sin is going to be dealt with, and there's a time when Satan's going to be dealt with, but it's not like there's this allergic reaction where God immediately just, things start blowing up just because sin is in his presence. And thank goodness that's true because his Holy Spirit is inside of you and me, right? 
Can you imagine if stuff started spontaneously combusting just because sin came into the presence of God? We would all be, there'd be flames in here right now, okay? Or, or, or charred remains, uh, you know, in your car on the way here or whatever, the last time you sinned, right? But the Holy Spirit's in us. God roams about on the earth himself, thank goodness. He doesn't have an allergic reaction to sin every time. He's patient, okay? And so, yes, Satan still has access to heaven right now. He spends some time in heaven. He spends some time on earth. Now, the thing we find in this passage is, what's he doing in heaven? Why would he be in heaven? He's not there having a vacation. Obviously, he's not allowed there for that. And uh, he's not there, you know, uh, uh, having a good time. He's always resisting Jesus. He's always resisting the church. So what's he doing? He's in heaven sometimes. He's on earth sometimes. He's in charge of this army of angels and demons. Uh, What's he doing when he's in heaven? Well, it tells us in verse 10, it says that he's the accuser of our brothers. And so while he's in heaven, I don't pretend to understand all of this or how it all works, but we just accept what the Bible says, that, that the devil, and for whatever reason, he's, he, he wants to be effective, he hates us, so he spend, and so he realized that it, somehow it's effective for him to be in heaven making accusations against us, and this affects us. He's the accuser of our brothers, and it has such an effect that when he's thrown down, heaven gets really excited, okay? And now I want to show you an example of this in the book of Job. In the book of Job, chapter 1, famous story, verse 6. Let's just see how this works uh, in practice. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Okay, and so we see there that Satan has access to God's presence. Okay, and he comes before God regularly. And to do what? Well, let's keep reading. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man? So we see Satan is on the earth. He's working. He's back in heaven. He's back and forth between them. And, uh, and so we keep going here. Who turned, fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And so there's the accusation. There's the accusation. God looks at Job and says, look, there's a good man. And and there's a good man, Satan. There's a man of integrity. There's a man who loves me. Satan replies that with an accusation, and the accusation is it's not real love. Satan just likes you, God, because of what you give him. But it's not real love. It's not he doesn't love you for who you are. He just likes you because of what you give him, okay? And this is the foundation, I think, of much of the devil's accusation. It's built on this foundation of, I don't think Satan believes. It's, it's, it's just encapsulated for us here. I think there's uh, such an important reason why the Holy Spirit put this story in the Bible. So that the God looks at people and says, look at that person loves me. And Satan looks and says, no, there is no such thing as real love. There's only self-interest. See, Satan lives in self-interest. I think ultimately he has to. In order to have fallen away from God, he can't believe that God really loves him or, 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 you know, or loves people or that he can be loved back. He's, it's all about self-interest for him. He says, no, Job doesn't really love you. It's an accusation against God. It's an accusation against Job. The love thing isn't real. It's all about self-interest. And I, I wonder, you know, as, as I was thinking about this this week, I wonder if we're getting a glimpse behind the scenes into a deeper mystery. And, and again, I'm just, I'm just speculating here for just a little bit. But I wonder if we're getting a glimpse in this conversation. This isn't a random conversation. 
This isn't a random conversation. It's not random that this is in the Bible. I wonder if we're getting a glimpse into a deeper mystery. I've often wondered, and, and others have wondered, why does God tolerate Satan, right? I mean, why does... Why, I mean, why doesn't he just, the moment Satan fell in heaven, why didn't he just lock him up in hell right then? Why does God allow Satan to continue? And, and of course, I'm sure there's many different parts to that answer, and part of it probably has to do a little bit with free will, and part of it has to do with the sovereignty of God, and he's using Satan for his purposes. But I wonder if part of the reason God is allowing the whole, uh, you know, hi- human history, this drama of human history to play out in front of the devil, I wonder if there's an ongoing accusation that God is allowing the devil and his powers and his rulers to watch this drama play out because God is proving to them something about love, that it is possible for God to love us and for, other, and for us to love him back in a genuine way that isn't based on self-interest. And that's, Satan's accusation goes right to the heart of that. He doesn't believe it. There's no way Job really loves you, God. It's purely he loves you because of the blessing. And so it's an accusation. He, he doubts the love of God and the, and, and the love of people, our ability to love him back. And so we look what happens next, verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And of course, famous story, I'm not going to read all of it, but you know, he, he, Job loses all of his kids and he loses all of his livestock. He loses all of his servants. He loses all of his wealth. And then we skip ahead to verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge uh, God with wrong. And so uh, Job's example here, he stands up to Satan's ac- uh, accusation and in spite of the fact that everything's been taken from him, he continues to be committed and, and to love God, which has nothing to do with self-interest. That's the real deal. But of course, Satan still doesn't believe it. And so he goes back to God and he accuses him further. Chapter 2, verse 1, again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? He holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And so it's the same accusation as before. Satan just says, okay, okay, okay. I, I, thought, I thought his love for you, you know, I was just based on the, on the material blessing. But, but I know if you took away his physical health, there's no way he would still love you then. He, 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 the only reason he's committed to you now is because you continue to give him his health. And so it's, again, it's an accusation against God. Is God truly lovable? And are people truly able to love him apart from self interest. And so the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. Okay, and of course Satan then goes out, and we know the story, and he strikes Job with loathsome sores, and Job has some horrible health issues, painful and disgusting health problems, and Satan even uses Job's wife uh, to encourage Job along this path of cursing God. In verse 9 we see, then Job's wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? See, that's the accusation again. That's what Satan thinks Job should do. That's what Satan thinks he will do. That's his accusation to God. He can't really love you. You take it all away, it's gone. And he even uses Job's wife as a mouthpiece out of her bitterness and hurt. She speaks what Satan feels and what Satan thinks and she says, just curse God and die. That's what Satan thinks all of us should do when it comes to God. 
And I want to just stop there, actually, and let's just pause there for just a moment because I think it's interesting there how Job's wife becomes a mouthpiece for the devil's own accusations. And this is such a true thing that we have to be careful of is because those kinds of words are like gasoline on a fire. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You know, something happens to you and you're hurt. Someone does something to you. Or you go through something and then some other Christian comes along, a friend of yours or someone in your cell, and you tell them the hurt you're going through and it's like they pour gasoline on the fire and it, it kind of actually feels good but they fan into flames some bad things within you. So, you know, your spouse did something and now you share that with someone, you know, one of your, your girlfriends or, or whatever, you know, assuming you're a woman. Hopefully if you're a guy, you're not, you know, with your girlfriend. But, but uh <laughs> But, you know, your husband does something to you or your wife does something to you and now you go to one of your friends and you tell them what a jerk your spouse is and then your friend goes, yeah, they are a jerk. And it's like they empathize with you, but they empathize with you actually in the wrong way and they actually, they actually spur the accusation that's in you to, to hotter. They, they spur the anger. They spur the bitterness. They might call it empathy, but actually they're just throwing gasoline on the fire. They're actually becoming a mouthpiece for Satan. Or someone comes to you about a ministry in the church or a leader or something, and they say, you know, I just never got anything out of that. I, I, I don't like the way that person does things. I don't this or that. And they just speak negativity, and then you become an ear for them, and then you heap gasoline on that and you, onto that fire and you just say, yeah, you know, and basically it's curse God and die. You speak out loud the accusation the devil's already spoken into their heart. And by speaking it out loud, it just gives it more power. It just fans it into flame. And the devil wants to use your mouth to fan into flame the accusations he's trying to lodge in others. And you say, well, how can the devil use my mouth? I'm not possessed by the devil. Right? How, how can the devil use my mouth? I'm not possessed by the devil. Well, I mean, you don't have to be possessed by the devil to be used by the devil. I don't think Job's wife was possessed by the devil. But what about the apostle Peter? Same thing happened with him, right? Matthew chapter 16. Jesus tells the disciples, you know what, guys? Because they're all pumped about Jesus. They believe he's the Messiah. They believe he's the Son of God. It's time for him to take over and rule. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. And then Jesus says, actually, calm down, guys. You know, the, the, you know, the priests and the religious leaders, they're actually going to kill me. And Peter's like, whoa, that's negative talk. You're cursing yourself. He takes Jesus aside, and he has the gall to rebuke Jesus, right? I mean, you got to, part of me just really likes him. Like, that's gall, but part of me, and so, and then look what Jesus says to Peter, right? But he, that's Jesus, turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Now, was Peter possessed by the devil? Not a chance. Was, Jesus, was Peter overtly serving the devil? Not a chance. But in that moment, in that moment, Peter was speaking the words the devil wanted him to speak. Peter wasn't speaking out of the Spirit of God, out of I want what God wants. He was speaking out of his flesh. What did he want? And by speaking out of his flesh in that moment, he was speaking out loud things that the devil wanted to do, and, and Jesus was having none of it. He said, don't speak that out loud to me. That, that is, get behind me, Satan. You're, you're letting your mouth be used as a tool of the devil, and we have got to be so careful of that. I can't, I mean, just this, this last little while, as I've been just praying in my own life, even before I started getting ready for this message, the Lord was convicting me of that, but how often we allow our mouths to pour gasoline on the flame of accusation where the devil's doing some work, and we come in and we speak things out loud, and we make the fire hotter, not less hot. I remember uh, when my wife, LaDawn, uh, uh, first began to get into ministry a number of years ago, and, uh, and so we just had little kids then. We still have little kids now. Um, 
but now we have older ones and little ones. But uh, anyway, but you have little kids and lots of pressure, and you're growing a ministry from, from scratch and totally had a calling from God. And of course, but there, there's stressful moments, right? And so I thought I was being a good husband. I would just always give her a way out. Why don't you just quit? Right? Like that's loving husband thing to do, right? Like just, just, and I thought I was being good because I'm just giving, why don't you just quit? I remember one time she just rebuked me. Stop telling me to quit. I thought I was just being nice. I thought that's what you wanted to hear. Really, I was just being selfish. I went to prayer the next day and God gave me a slap upside the head and said, don't you tell her to quit when I told her to start. Right? See, that's an accusation. The devil's telling her, quit, 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 quit. And then you're coming in here and helping him. You're using your mouth as a tool of the devil. And really, you're actually just doing it for your own selfish reasons. You're not doing it because you, you love her. You're just doing it because you, you, you just don't want to be there for her when she's carrying this load, right? And so there's a warning here for us. The devil wants to use your mouth. He wants to use my mouth to pour gasoline on the fires of accusation he's stoking in others. And we have to not let him. That's unacceptable. And we'll come back to some practical things at the end of this message. But he's the accuser of the brethren. This is one of his key strategies to accuse and accuse and accuse. And we'll see this right from the very beginning. This isn't just in Job. This isn't just in the book of Revelation at the end. It's right from the very beginning. If we go to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, we find this. Now the serpent, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay? But the serpent said to the woman, Now I just want you to see how subtle he is. I want, to, I want you to see how he works here. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there's the accusation. Satan is accusing God's motives. He's, he's making an accusation. He's lodging an accusation against God's motives, isn't he? And this is just how he operates. This is how he brings us down. And the reason is because as long as Eve has a picture of God that he loves us and that we can trust him and that he wants what's best for me, as long as we have a picture of God like that, we're not going to disobey him. Because it's like, he's my heavenly father. He loves me. I want to obey him. His rules are for my good. His rules bring me joy because he wants me to be happy and he just loves me. And as long as I have that picture of God, I can, there's no way. The devil's going to tell you, eat the apple. It's like, I'm not eating the apple. What are you, an idiot? My heavenly father loves me. Obviously, there's something bad for me about eating that apple. I don't want to eat the apple. So Satan doesn't just tell her, eat the apple. He has to change her picture of God. He's going to use an accusation to do it. What's he going to do? He's going to say, Actually, God's not doing it because he loves you so much and he wants your happiness. Actually, he's just a petty, jealous God. He actually knows that if you eat that apple, you're going to become a lot more like him. He doesn't want you to have that kind of happiness. He doesn't want you to have that kind of stature. He doesn't want you to have that kind of power or anointing. So he's actually just a petty God. He knows what will really happen, and that's why he said no. He's holding out on you. Now, the moment he gets that accusation lodged in Eve's head, and the moment she accepts it, her picture of God changes from, his God, this is the God who loves me and wants his best for me, to this is the God who's petty and holding out on me. And now, now she's ripe to disobey, right? And it all starts with an accusation, an accusation against God's character, against God's motives. So next verse, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin claws, okay? And so this is the way Satan works. He plants accusation. One of his techniques is to plant accusations in our hearts and our minds about God's intentions, about God's character. And so he whispers thoughts. He whispers thoughts, and sometimes they're subconscious, sometimes they're feelings, sometimes he uses experiences you went through when you were a kid, he says, how could God have let you go through that? He uses your own dad, and maybe your dad, you had a, a, had a bad you know, father here on this earth. And so the Satan, uses, Satan uses accusation based on him and says, this is what God's like. And he, but he lodges things in your brain that you don't trust God. You don't think of him as a loving father. So now when it comes to obeying him, you feel like it's a burden. You feel like, oh, all God ever wants from me is blah, 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 blah. He just works me and works me and works me. And there's no joy in it. And these rules are so hard to follow. And he, he gets you on God's motives. He gets you on God's heart. And once he's got you there, then you don't want to listen. I'm, I mean, I've talked to people. It's like, well, I don't want to listen to God about that because I'm pretty sure he's not going to want me to have any fun. It's like, I, I don't want to listen to God about that because I'm pretty sure he'll say I shouldn't buy it. And so we don't listen. And the whole reason they're afraid to listen is because they're afraid of who God is. They've got accusations in there about the character of God. And so they can't listen, they can't follow, they can't obey. And Satan's got you with accusation. He's going to plant accusations in your head about the character and the motives of God. And it'll lead you straight into to disobedience or distance from God. But he won't just plant accusing thoughts about God uh, in our minds. This is also what Satan does to us about others. And I wonder how much disunity has been caused in churches by accusation. Causes us to question the pastor's motives and each other's motives. He's just making a power grab, right? She's just trying to take over. Thoughts like that or thoughts like, he doesn't like me. They're just trying to get rid of me and suddenly everybody's suspicious of each other, right? And instead of praying together and submitting to each other, what you've got is suspicion. You've got gossip. You've got disunity and distance. And really it just comes down to, all he has to do is put an accusing thought in your mind about somebody else's motives. He goes for heart and motives. He just accuses the motives and intentions. It can be the same action. I mean, the, the person does something, Satan can't change that they've done it or not done it, but he can attack you and get you to think bad things about why they did it, right? Because the why is everything. I mean, think about this. You're driving down the road and someone in another car comes and just veers in front of you and cuts you off. Now, those of you who are as spiritual as me, it doesn't bother you at all. You just pray a blessing on them. <laughs> right. So I'm hoping to get to someday. They just veer in front of you and they cut you off. Okay? Now, the action has been done. But actually, depending on how you interpret the motives of that person is going to totally determine how you feel. It's absolutely true. It's not the action that, it's, it's not actually the action itself that ticks you off. It's why you think they did the action. It's totally true. You say, no, no, it's the action. No, no, it's the motive. It's what you perceive the motive to be. For example, if, uh, if an angel just showed up in your car and said, the reason that guy cut you off is because he's racing to the hospital right now. He just, his, his, uh, one of his kids was just in a horrible accident and he's rushing to emerge to see them. You would have no problem with the fact that he cut you off. Is that not true? Same action. You're not bothered anymore. Or if a little angel popped up on your dashboard and said, you know, the reason that guy cut you off is because he's having a really bad day. His wife just left him and he's, not, he's having a hard time coping. Uh, you'd, you'd be like, oh, Man, I, f I feel for that guy. See, mo motive is everything. Or even if that angel just popped up on your dashboard and said, you know what, that guy just, I mean, he just, he made a mistake. He actually feels really bad about it right now. If, if, if you could actually pull him over and talk to him, 
you'd find out he feels really bad. He just wasn't paying attention and he cut you off. Even that you'd be able to forgive. Motive's everything. But the reason we get upset is because we think, that jerk. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. He's just being a jerk. That's why we get mad. So how you perceive the motive is everything. It's the same with everything and interaction we, we have with people. They do an action. Satan can't change the action. He can't come to you and say, they didn't cut you off when they did, or they did cut you off when they didn't. He can't change the action. What he attacks with accusation is their intentions behind the action. Well, they didn't say hi to me today in church because they don't like me. They didn't sit with me at the prayer summit today because they're upset at me. Maybe they just didn't notice you, okay? Maybe you're not tall enough. Maybe you're not... You know, maybe, who knows, right? But that's he attacks with, he attacks the motives. He accuses, and the thing is, we're just right pickings from him because we just take whatever accusing thought comes into our head and we just run with it. And the moment that accusation is lodged there, it's like Eve with God, you begin to distrust someone. Once you begin to distrust God, you're going to disobey him. Once you begin to distrust others, you're not going to pray with them, you're not going to serve with them, you're not going to have unity. So this is how Satan tears marriages apart. I mean, I wonder how many marriages would be changed just by if the, if the two spouses would say, that's it for accusation. I'm going to start actually assuming the best about my spouse's intentions instead of the worst. Right there, you would have lots of marriages would be awesome right there. And how many churches would be fixed? How many ministries? How many cells would be fixed? If we just stopped assuming the worst about people, that's how Satan works. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants us always working that way. And the thing I want you to notice is that accusation works exactly the opposite of love. Exactly the opposite. It's, they're, they're completely opposed to each other. 1 Corinthians 13, famous passage on love. I just want to touch on two things in verse 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. And then these are the two things I want to just talk about briefly. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So two things I want to look at there. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Now, you might be sitting there and you might be going, love believes all things. Love is gullible. He's not talking about being gullible. He's not talking about, you know, your teenager is getting away with murder and then they just lie to your face and, well, love says I just believe. So I just believe. It's not talking about that. Okay? It's not talking about being gullible. But what love does is love wants, love defaults to, I want to believe the best about this person's intentions. That's what love defaults to. Accusation says, I'm going to believe the worst about that person's intentions. I'm going to believe the worst about my cell leader's intentions. I'm going to believe the worst about my ministry leader's intentions. I'm going to believe the worst about my pastor's intentions. I'm going to believe the worst about my spouse's intentions. I'm going to believe the worst about God's intentions. That's how accusation works, and that's how Satan tears us apart. But love works exactly opposite. It's night and day. It's black and white. Love says, I... I default to, I want to believe the best about you. Believes all things. I just, I, in fact, I refuse to believe badly about your intentions until, I, until there's just positive proof. You know what, actually, your intentions aren't good. But until I see positive proof that your intentions aren't good, I believe, I just believe the best about you. And then, but then it finally you say, well, there are some bad people out there. They have bad intentions. That's true. And then love hopes all things. Once you've got positive proof in your hands, this person actually does intend bad. You're not gullible. So now you switch from believing the best about them to hoping the best. You still want the best for them. 
You want them to turn around. You want to give them every opportunity you can to turn around and repent and do better. Love believes all things. Love believes the best. Love hopes. And then when belief runs out, love hopes all things. It's the opposite of accusation. Can you imagine if our marriages and families and cell groups and ministries and churches would get filled with love as opposed to accusation, how would the devil ever stop us? How would the devil ever stop us? This is how we're supposed to operate. Paul says this in Colossians 3 verse 4, and above all these, put on love. It's like it's a piece of the armor. I would say it's an important piece of the armor. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You want to you have a, an important piece of the armor that we're going to stand up against the devil's schemes in your marriage and in our ministries, in this church and church renewal. Then we've got to put on love. It's, it's not going to just come natural to our flesh. The devil knows our flesh loves his accusations. That's the easiest thing, is to take an accusation and just run with it. Oh, it feels so good to have self-pity and anger. It feels so good for a little bit, and then it's just miserable. So at some point, we have to close our minds like a steel trap to that junk, and we have to stand up and say, I'm not going down that path. I'm not going to assume that. I'm going to assume something different because I'm going to put on love. I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to put it on. And as we begin to put it on as a church and as individuals and as families, as we put on love, there is one big gaping chink of armor that we close up that he can't get into. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And you know, I think there's a couple of strategic things. The devil knows he can torpedo in a church once we give his accusations a foothold. And there's actually, I'm sure there's multiple things, but two things that just came to my mind as I was thinking this week. Um, but two strategic things. When, the, when, when a church does not put on love, when individuals do not put on love, when they do not just make a choice to, that's it for accusation. I'm not, I'm not going to go down that path and accuse everybody's motives and accuse my leader's motives and my cell member's motives and everybody's motives. I'm going to close my mind. I'm going to put on love. Um, there's, when we don't do that, I think there's two strategic things the devil goes for. And one is he knocks out prayer and the other one he knocks out is serving and giving. Because, you know, now the sad thing is, uh, you know, here in the West, a lot of churches don't pray even if they're nice to each other. But for sure, if you have a praying church, but for sure if you have a praying church, if the devil can start to get in there with accusation, the moment people become suspicious of each other, they don't want to pray together, for sure. And even if they do pray together, if they've got bitterness and they've got dissension and suspicion, it's not going to be powerful praying. And the devil knows if he can get into a marriage and he can get suspicion going, he can get accusation going, that couple isn't going to pray together. Have you ever tried? Those of you who are married, just try that one time. Get real mad at each other and then try praying together. <laughs> like it would be better to just punch myself in the head a half dozen times than to try to do that. Okay? It's just hard because prayer doesn't work that way. You've got to have unity in order to really pray and pray powerfully. So the devil knows if you've got a praying church, if he can get in there with suspicion, if he can lodge accusations, and then what he wants to do is once he's got an accusation of one person, now they start to vent to someone else and now use that other person to put gasoline on the fire and start speaking the accusations out loud, he can spread that thing around and he can knock out prayer. He, he can put a damper on prayer. He can also put a damper on giving and service because people don't want to give joy joyfully and sacrificially when they're suspicious of people. 
when they're mad at people. So if he can, he just, he, so he's going to throw darts all day long. There's no, it's no risk for him. Just throw darts of accusation all day long at everybody. And if we're going to just be open to it, he knows he can take down the prayer and he knows he can take down the sacrificial giving and service, which is the thing that, which those are the things that together launch the kingdom of God forward. Amen? So it's accusation. And it's one of the devil's key strategies for attacking us. That's why he's called in Revelation 12. When he's cast out of heaven, he's not just called the devil. He's called the accuser of the brethren. It's an important part of his role. It's an important part of who he is. So how do we combat it? And there's four things I want to give you and, and just mingled into them is the weekly challenge and then we'll have the baptisms. But how do we combat the devil's attacks of accusation. Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to practice recognizing and repenting of, of taking in this accusation. We have to practice. For many of us, it's just so, it's just so ingrained in us. We just accept it. That's, we're just like sheep. And the wolf just comes in and just picks us off. And we just have no concept. He just puts an accusing thought in there. We just take it. Oh, well, that was a neat thought. And, wow, I don't like so-and-so anymore. And we just run with it. And the first thing we just have to do is practice, become self-conscious, become self-aware of the fact that these thoughts, that we're allowing these thoughts in, that we're allowing ourselves to speak these thoughts, we just have to be practiced getting used to seeing the, these thoughts and recognizing them and putting a stop to them. If we don't recognize them, we're not going to stop them. And so one of the things I'd love to challenge you to do this week and exercise, I'm going to do it with you, is every day this week in your devotional time with the Lord, I would challenge you to, to just prayerfully go over the day before. And you do this for seven days in a row, you'll, you'll start to become more aware and even do it for a couple of weeks. But just every day in your devotional time, say, Lord, show me any times yesterday where I just accepted accusing thoughts. I, I started to accuse whether my spouse or someone at work or someone at church, but I just allowed thoughts like that to come in. You'll be amazed. Many of us, these thoughts are, are these darts are hitting us every single day and many of us are just taking it. And we're, we're suspicious. We assume the worst about people. So just every day, get used to it. And then just write them out. Maybe God, God shows you two or three or one thing or whatever. And just by writing it out and confessing it, you're going to start to become more aware of it so that in the moment you can ask the Holy Spirit, oh, wait a minute, I'm not thinking that thought. I'm not thinking that thought. I'm thinking a different thought. I'm going to assume something different. And that's called putting on the armor. This doesn't just happen. You just go to a message and boom, now I, now I know all about accusation. I don't do it anymore. You, you have to put on the armor. So practice recognizing and repenting that. Second of all, another um, exercise I encourage each of us to do this week, I think it'd be awesome, is if we would each ask God to show us anyone in our life, leaders in the church, people at work, someone in the ministry, you know, someone in your family that you are harboring negative thoughts or feelings toward, and then write down whatever he shows you. It doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about now like some massive unforgiveness issue. I'm just talking about, you know, the, the, the least little suspicion, gossip, accusation. It's trying to get in. And the Holy Spirit can just show you, oh, that's, yeah. I kind of had, had this wall kind of building up in me towards so-and-so recently. And I wonder why that is. And it might just be accusation. And just write it down. Just do that exercise this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. If there's anybody or a ministry or a leader and just say that I have any kind of negativity towards, I want to write that down. I want to see where the devil's trying to get in. He's, he's got his darts past my armor. Then the third thing just comes out of that. I would encourage you this week, heart sight. I, I got that from uh, Stefan or someone. I just like it. But anyway, one by one, ask God to give you his perspective about each of those people. So he shows you maybe a list of people. For some of you more, some of you less. But two or three or four or five or six. And, and then you work through each person. You say, okay, this is the accusation about, you know, I'm, I'm really upset at this person because of X. 
Lord, I want to have your perspective. Now, maybe person X did some bad things to you, but the Lord gives you his, his insight. It, cha- it can change it. It's like, did you know what? That person was really wounded. They're just doing that because they're so insecure. Oh, it gives you a totally new perspective. And so you ask for heart sight. And now some of these people, the accusation has already gotten so ingrained in you, the roots have gone down. Just doing this once won't help. You're going to have to take that person in every day and just do it for a while. Lord, give me your perspective about this person. I want to see them from your eyes. I don't want to see them as evil and bad and I can't stand them. I want to see them in a new light. I want to see them with love's eyes, not accusation's eyes. And then lastly, I want you to let God speak his love into you and rescue you from the accusations Satan has placed against yourself. I talked before techniques of Satan's accusations, that he wants to accuse God to you and he wants to accuse others to you. But actually, I didn't get to you know, one of his biggest ones, which is he just wants to accuse you. He just wants to come and pepper you. All day long, he wants to pepper you with past sins you've done that you long ago confessed, things where you messed up, things you said, things you did, things you're ashamed of, things you're not good at, things. The devil, you know, I had someone ask me recently, is the devil ever capable of telling the truth? Well, yeah, he is. He loves to tell true things. All the bad things about you, he's bringing them up all the time. (laughs) He, He doesn't need to lie about that. You know, he doesn't... He doesn't call, come up to me and call, call me a shrimp, okay? He, he doesn't call me things that I'm not, right? He, he, he's going to call me things that I, that I actually have done and things that I'm ashamed of. I just laugh at him like, I'm not a shrimp. I'm tall and skinny. And so he comes and he, he but he, so he's going to nail you with who you are. And so th- those are true things, but they're forgiven things if you're in Jesus, Amen. And so, but he's going to come and he's going to just probably put a cloud on you. And often the people who are most receptive to his accusations about others, the reason they're so susceptible to his accusations about others is because they're living under a cloud of accusation themselves. Amen. And so I would, I would challenge you this week to ask Jesus, this would be the fourth thing on your weekly challenge, ask Jesus to reveal to you what accusations you're believing about yourself. Because he's going to come to you and he's going to say, you're dirty, you're shameful, you're worldly. Oh, he'll just nail you. You're worldly. You're too worldly. You can't really pray. You don't pray enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You're not good enough. And ba 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 ba. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't do this. You did that. And he just nails you. You don't feel even, you don't even feel worthy to go into prayer. But you know, the Bible says today I was meditating in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that we can go boldly into the presence of God because Jesus' blood, not because of what we did, Right? But he just nails you. You're not worthy. You can't ask that. You can't do that. You don't pray enough. And just nails you. Na 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 na. And then you're just so down and you just receive all of his other accusations, but everybody else as well. So ask Jesus to reveal to you what accusations you're believing about yourself and write down whatever he shows you. Romans 8, verse 1 says this There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that. Some of you have been in bondage to condemnation and shame for years. It's time to throw those shackles off by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? This would actually be a great, this this here, the number four, is a great one in your cell groups or with some friends. Do this in a group. Some of you actually aren't even capable of hearing almost anything but accusation. When you go to listening prayer, what you think is God is actually the devil accusing all the time. And you need to just sit with some other people who love Jesus and in listening prayer, they get some encouraging words for you and you need to realize that's God speaking to you. And it is powerful. And then you pray together and you, you, you just begin to get freedom and the power of the Spirit comes on you. It's powerful accusation. Next week we're going to look at accusation in more in the corporate sense. But I just want to pray for you now. And then we're going to see some baptisms, see some awesome testimonies. Lord Jesus, 
I pray that you would make us strong by your Holy Spirit in our inner beings against the sing of accusation. Make us a church here that puts on love. We want to be a church that grows in prayer, that grows in service, that grows in giving because we're just so overjoyed and unified and in love with you and with each other. Father, I pray that you would make us strong against the accusations that come against ourselves. Many sitting here today condemned, feeling condemned constantly. They don't do enough. They don't pray enough. They don't read enough. They don't that, 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 that. And the devil just hammers us again and again and again and again. And yet you died for us, Jesus. And that's the thing that matters. And it's not something we can earn. Father, I pray that by your spirit you would lift off of us the bondage of shame and condemnation that you would enable us to recognize that accusation when it comes. We begin to walk in the spirit in prayer and to be strong against those things, to be strong in love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.